of an Illuminati survivor. And for my second interview with Jesse, we get into some incredible, incredible stories that will just paint a picture for you. And yes, she does reveal exactly what the enemy the devil looks like. And she talks about some really great things that God has done to for her and actually describes meeting Jesus and what he looks like. So hang on to your hats, buckle up, because this is going to be a really good ride. Please like, subscribe, and share on the internet with all of your friends and help grow this channel. Right on, right on, right on. And welcome back to Ride On Radio. Today is a very special day for you indeed because, yes, I have Jesse Zaboder back. We had such an incredible amount of feedback and a lot of hits on that last interview. It was certainly powerful stuff. And one of the things that has been coming up, which I want to address before I bring Jesse in, you know, I can almost hear the cries, particularly from the Christians who heard the broadcast, that... You know, just focus your eyes on Jesus. And yes, you should focus your eyes on Jesus. You should read the word. And if you're a non-believer, this is kind of indescript to you. But the thing is, we are in a battle. And if you're a non-believer, this battle still applies to you because there is an enemy and he hates you as well. Maybe not as much, but he hates you as well. And if you are in a battle, it is best to know who your enemy is and to know his plans. And yes, as a Christian, we are called to steward this earth. We are called to govern this earth. But yet we have failed in our attempt to do that. And we've allowed the enemy to run the world. Well, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we're in the midst of taking this back. And Jesse Zaboder is a big part of that. And before I bring her in, I failed to introduce a couple of the things. If you want to learn a lot more about Jesse, and there's just limitless information, she's been working with someone who does a blog, and the Twitter handle is at Kathy Kathy Fox. That's Kathy spelt with a C and named twice. So at Kathy Kathy Fox. And you can also find the blog on Jesse's website and where she works with caffeine is called illuminatethedarkness.com. And I want to bring on Jesse and I'm going to announce one other thing as we bring her on. So Jesse, good morning and welcome to Ride On Radio. Good morning. Jesse, I have just found out that you have been working diligently on a book series and you have the first one coming out. Would you just tell the audience about it? Yeah, uh, so the book series I'm working on is called His Kingdom Comes in Power. Uh, the first book is titled The Battle. And it, it goes through some of the questions that I faced as a hospital chaplain. Um, I had a lot of people who, you know, wanted to know, is the devil real? If so, you know, how does he work in our lives? Does he attack us? How can we pre be prepared to face him? So I... I focus on a lot of those questions in that book. Um, it's a great place to start, you know, when you're starting to look at the spiritual battle or the unseen battle that we are in. Um, it's, it's offered free, or let me take that back. You can get it actually on two places, the John B. Wells um, store, 
or you could get it um, on David Zublik's show. Uh, he has he's offering it right now with um, if you purchase a package that he does that has material that proves all the child trafficking going on and cases and uh, what's going on in the government in regards to that. Um, I believe John B. Wells also has it for about $20 on his site. Um, so both places, um, a percentage of that money goes to support um, efforts to stop child trafficking and to help those who are actively doing rescues or working with the government to get information um, out about the children and where they're at. And Jesse, if you make those links available for me as well, I will post them on the Right On Radio Facebook page. And okay. if you want to find the Facebook page and have an interactive conversation in this, uh, you can just simply search in Facebook at Real Right On Radio. And those links will be made available for you shortly. So Jesse, we just had, we covered so much stuff last time and Today we're going to cover some more, and I think that this is going to be a really exciting program. There's there's a few specific things that I want to to touch on, and one of those things, which I'll I'll get to towards the end of the show, uh, is we I put out a little bit of a teaser last time that you were actually chosen to fulfill a particular role, and it was supposed to happen at this this year in April. So I do want to get to that eventually. But I want to start out with some of the training and, and some of the rituals that you went through as a kid, just to paint a picture to us. And, and where we, when we talked about some of the, the training, you had just talked about the very first time in particular where you and, and your partner had to pick a specific item and you put it back, but we didn't go any further that day. Can you tell us a little bit about, more about that story, Jesse? Yeah, so um, we had last left off, I had talked about, I had picked my item, and that was actually a spiritual item that had not been placed in that circle by the mothers. Um, it was a sword of, of the Lord, and so when I held that up, they all knew that, you know, I was a warrior of the Lord, that I had been chosen. Um, you know, to fight the system. And um, it was a very strong statement that the Lord, re you know, made to them that day without saying any words in particular. Um, after I put my object back, um, it was my training partner's turn to pick something. And I can't actually share what the object is, but um, anyway, I'll go into some stories about it in a minute here. But he picked his item and it was a small gold item and um, basically it, it represented illusions and magic and um, anyway um, later on after you know that that class and that testing was over that evening he decided that he wanted that object um, so <laughs> we were in the St. Peter Catholic church in the basement there. And, um, there was a long hallway 
that had doors on both sides. And it was at the very end of the hallway on the right-hand side was the, the closet where the mothers, they would lock the box with all the items in that closet. Well, so anyway, he, you know, here we are, we're like four and a half, almost five, and he decides to pick the lock. I have no idea how he learned the skill, but my job was to stand in the hallway and make sure nobody was coming. And he picked the lock and, and took his his item. And uh, he, he kept it on his body from that day forward. Um, but anyway, when the mothers realized this item was gone, they literally went into a frantic panic. And, you know, we had been brought down with them um, and were in that hallway. And, you know, this was one of the first miracles we experienced. But, you know, they and were... Just before you get into that, yes. Jesse, every piece is relevant to them. So... If yeah. one piece goes missing, the person in charge would face some consequences. That's how they keep this system together. Is that correct? That That is correct, yeah. So, it, so this was a very serious thing that a piece was missing. Yes. Uh, the You know, these items had been used, you know, I would guess for hundreds of years in this testing process. Um, you know, so you're, you're talking ancient items that are linked to you know, spirits and all forms of what they consider, you know, ancient black magic. And in a way it was kind of, you know, a fortune telling site or fortune telling objects because they would, um, you know, use those items to determine a child's placement in the program and what position they would take. Um, so to have a piece, you know, missing, Satan was not happy about that. Um, so that was why they were in a frantic panic because it meant that somebody, you know, would have to suffer consequences at Satan's hand. Um, you know, he would get brutal with these, these women. He, you know, would, would throw them. He would, um, beat them. Um, he, usually they were thrown down in a big deep hole uh, where they'd be down there, you know, for hours and stuff as part of the consequence. Um, ultimately, they feared, you know, that he might strip them of their positions or their power. Um, so they're running around frantic, searching everywhere. I imagine they're searching every yeah. room and turning the place upside down. Yeah, they were. So, well, so like I said, what was you know the miracle about that is is literally like we're in this hallway with them and my training partner has this object on him and and all of a sudden it was just like god made us invisible um you know i was standing kind of against the wall and he was standing right in front of me and the mothers were walking back and forth you know in front of us and it was like literally like we were not there um the place where he had the object hid you know it, it was pretty big and so it was surprising that they never saw it on his body um he you know he was so i i 
still to this day don't know how he was able to hide that on him, you know, other than that it was the act of God. <laughs> wow, this is so incredible. So there's this hallway with all these doors and, and all these women are running back and forth, searching up and down, looking in detail, not missing a thing, and you're standing right in the center of it the whole time, both of you. Yep, with with the object on us. <laughs> that is incredible. So, so with the with these rituals and, and, and praise God for that, but with these rituals, they're so detailed where because obviously so these particular artifacts you know some of them might have been a hundred hundreds of years old maybe longer uh maybe less but you know they were certainly very valuable can you tell us about you know perhaps uh any other rituals that you you've been in and and particularly i've heard you tell a couple stories but where you've been disobedient let's say and uh if you could describe the ritual and actually what happened because i found this to be such an incredible story and i want our listeners to hear this yeah so um there is a a very particular one that goes along with that um we were just about five years old and it it was the first ritual we were to participate in where we would be actually participating in taking life. Um, at five years so, old, at five they're years grooming old, you yeah. and desensitizing yeah. you to evil at such a level that yeah. you're... Wow. It, it explain kind of what, what this ritual is about, what, what they're trying to accomplish, and, uh, and, and what are some of the pieces of it. Yeah, so... With this one, um, what they were trying to accomplish was they were trying to connect me through blood links with another child. Um, They would call it like a blood wedding ceremony. Um, So that was the purpose of this particular ritual. Um, Beforehand, like we had spent time, they would... um, do things with us that would seem like normal things like baking cookies and they would have this massive bowl that you know would have the the makings of the cookie dough but they would keep adding more and more flour to it so as you know and they they would give us a spoon and we'd have to keep stirring this cookie dough and it would get to the point where you couldn't stir it any longer by hand it you know it'd get rock hard and then they would say, well, just, you know, get it to move. And they would encourage you to stab at it or hit at it. Well, you know, we didn't know at that age that what they were doing was preparing us, you know, giving us strength training to be able to do the stabbing and other things. Um, and they so made it fun. They made it fun. Yep. They made it fun and made it seem like it was a normal family activity. Um, so that was part of that. And so, um, the other prep part was that, um, with this ritual, they have, um, sacrificial walls that are in certain places throughout the United States, as well as internationally. Um, but everybody who is in the system at age five, when they partake in their first ritual, 
um, their handprints go on these walls and your handprint is put on there in blood and so you know before the big day where your hand goes on the wall they have you practice and so you know we would spend hours down in the area where the wall was and you know have to practice like putting our palms up there a certain way and our fingers so that you know a perfect handprint would go on there um, what these walls are are you know the ritual sacrifice walls to Moloch um, so and, it's and who way... is Moloch? Moloch is one of Satan's demonic generals um, he's a very bloodthirsty demon or demonic spirit um, he's one of the principalities that fell or was cast from heaven um, so I don't know why these walls are are important to him but um, it's almost like a trophy wall to him that you know he feels if your hands on the wall he owns um, part of or all of your soul and has rights to you um, so with that then um, like I'm gonna kind of let me ask if there was any other questions about that before I transition into the ritual no so I guess you, you just you've you've practiced putting your hands so you know how to get a perfect hand print you've played with a cookie dough so you're literally doing a, a stabbing motion with strength yep. involved and then I guess let's bring us to the day of when you're supposed to do the ritual. Just kind of walk us through it. Yeah. So actually, it was it was at nighttime, um, and they it started off where you know we we entered the tunnel system through one of the cemeteries that was there near St. Peter's, and um, you know you have everybody dressed in in robes and your faces, your identities hidden. Um, not a lot of, or we'll just say people did not know who the successor for the queen mother of darkness was. Um, they usually had me and my training partner hidden with about 20 other children who were always present. Um, these children sometimes would participate in rituals. Um, but it, that was part of the way so that nobody could really identify which of those children was the successor and which, um, you know, was the protector for her. So um, anyway, we're with this group of kids and we enter into this hallway with the handprints and um, one of the mothers has a big bowl of blood and we had to dip our hands in that bowl and then put our handprints on that wall. Do you know where that blood came from? I do not. Okay. Yep. Um, but um, after we put our handprints up there, um, me and my training partner had to put a symbol that represented our ritual names. And we put the symbol next to other handprints, so it's not right next to our own. Um, but we were instructed on where to put our, our symbols. And um, 
and then they took us into one of the side rooms and that was where the ritual was going to take place um when we walked in there there already um the room was filled with adults already who were all in robes and in the center was this altar um it was actually a wood table that would be reminiscent at a catholic church um and it had like a a tablecloth that went um it didn't go the long way it kind of went the width way and hung down onto the floor and on that table they had a baby that was probably about you know 7 8 months old um the baby was just laying still on the altar um i assumed it was probably drugged um they also had like all the the elements for the ritual so you, the chalice was there on the altar table along with the dagger um there was a pentagram that was drawn on top of there with um they actually had done it with salt i think um and so you just saw like this kind of white powdered grainy stuff that um the child was laying on top of and then um there were there was another the boy that i was to be linked with in this ceremony he was standing to the right of the altar um so anyway or let me put there was another so the high priest was standing right behind the table and um so anyway um they had us come in and um there was a lot of chanting um all the witches and warlocks who were present started you know calling on the different demonic spirits um you know i could sense that those spirits were entering the room um as it proceeded uh the let me think how to put this um you know i'll give a graphic warning here but there was sex magic that was involved with this so you had a lot of the adults started doing sexual things amongst themselves and with the demonic spirits um and then you know we were in, i was instructed to go up to the altar what we had practiced was that you know the other boy who was present he was supposed to take the dagger and cut into his hand and then he would make a fist and his blood he would drip into the chalice um so he he went ahead and did that he took that dagger and started you know dripping his blood in there and then um he he put the dagger down on the altar and that's when my proctor stepped forward and she took the dagger off and handed it to me um i i took that like i was supposed to um but then i got you know i was really mad and there was you know for me you know i this was one of the rituals where i did see satan at you know and he was standing there and had this you know gleeful look on his face like 
you know, now I'm going to get you to, to do what you don't want to do. And so let me just stop you there for, for a moment, Jesse, if, if I may, um, and we'll pick up exactly where you left off, but for the listeners of this broadcast, uh, this is an audio only broadcast, but I have the privilege of looking at Jesse as she's telling this story. And I want the listeners to know this is not easy for Jesse to repeat. She, she has come forward. She's been telling, she's been doing some interviews and getting the story out there because she's trying to make a difference in the world. But this stuff is not easy for her to say. So I want you to keep that in mind. And, and also, Jesse, just because, you know, Satan is brought up here again. And I know you're not going to reveal his identity uh, because he is here on earth. Uh, but can you describe, is he in human form? Is he in spirit form? And then just pick up the story from there. Yeah. Um, I've seen Satan appear in four different forms. Um, so this time he was in a human form. And I would describe, you know, his body. It looked very angelic. Um, he this is what I would call his angel of light form. And so he just had, you know, very handsome appearance, um, almost this gold like tint to him. Um, there's something when he's in this form, there's something very alluring about him. So you're just naturally drawn to him. And, um, that was the form that he was in for this. Um, but the thing that I hated about, you know, this form was that, you know, you've got this, this almost, this draw that you just, you almost cannot turn away. You can't stop looking at him. And so I'm looking at his face and he's got this smirk and smile, but it's, it's that smile of, you know, I've got you where I want you. And you know, you're going to do what I want you to do. And, and that would bring out this natural anti-reaction in me where it was like, nope, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, I, I was very mischievous, very rebellious in that sense, especially towards Satan. And um, so, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was just the sheer, utter, intense anger and so, you know, when my proctor handed me that dagger, I was just so angry and I, I took it and I just, I whipped it right at her face. And then as I did that, I took my hand and swept it across the altar um, where the chalice was. And that went flying across the room and the blood went spilling everywhere. So now I've committed in their world an unfathomable sin. Um, I've just ruined Satan's ritual in front of all of these high-level people as well as right in front of Satan's face. And, and just just to be specific here, uh, one of the things, and, and do you mind if I give out your ritual name? No, that's fine. So her ritual name was Sunshine, and she was chosen by Satan himself to do this and to be prepared all of her years for this thing that we'll talk about towards the end of the broadcast. So you want to stay in and hold on because this is going to blow your mind. 
But for this to happen, like God put some kind of incredible strength or just innocence in you that you couldn't comprehend what the consequences were. Because as I understand in these types of ceremonies, if if one person just places an object incorrectly or forgets something or, you know, that doesn't utter the right words at the right time, there's really, really heavy consequences. So for you to spill the blood and not to mention throwing the dagger at your proctor's face, like, that, you know, this is, this is so strong for, for someone to do. And so obviously we want to know what happened. Uh, the good news is she's okay. You can hear her voice. So yep, you know yep. she survived, but <laughs> what happened from there? Yeah. So from there, the high priest, you know, he was the first to get to me. Um, so he literally, you know, grabbed me and slung me over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes. And I was hitting and kicking and you know biting at him and he carried me straight out of that church into the graveyard area and they had a graveyard that uh, or I should say a grave that was open and he just flung me down in that so you know I hit that with my back first and got first got the breath knocked out of me how deep would this be would it be typically six feet no, this was farther because it it connected into the catacombs. So I would say it was probably at least a good 15 feet or more. Um, you know, so that would you be... Did, did you break any bones or... No, I just, I got the breath knocked out of me at first. And um, they ended up putting something, a cover of some sort over it so I couldn't see out the the top of the grave anymore and I was just in pitch dark um, I could feel there was a, a wall that was like it was kind of on the long side of, of where that grave had been so I could feel like the dirt wall behind me and I ended up kind of inching up to that um, and you know was just kind of um, sitting there in the darkness not you know I didn't know if they planned if they planned to kill me if they were going to keep me down there for a couple hours or days or and at this point you've seen them kill so you know you you really are in doubt and you know that the the killings aren't necessarily uh, a quick and easy way right right And I didn't know, too, you know, I mean, some of the other things was if they sent the demonic spirits after you, you know, or the hunters, then, you know, it's like I'm in pitch dark. I, you know, the only thing I have as a safety down there was that wall. I at least knew nothing was going to attack me from behind. But, um, you know, I just had to be ready no matter which direction something was going to come from. And so, you know, my mind was kind of going into war mode um, as I was just laying there. And, and all of a sudden, I, I see this, this light starting to appear. And as it gets closer, I see that it's in the shape of a man. And 
you know, the best way just to describe it was that there was a man who looked like he was on fire walking towards me. And, you know, at first I had no idea who this was. I wasn't scared, but I was just like, what in the world am I seeing? And um, as he got closer, I realized that it was the Lord. And I can't explain other than that. I just, I knew it was Jesus. Um, and he came up to me and he picked me up and, you know, was holding me so that my face was over his shoulder. And he carried me through walking through the catacombs system and back to a, a secret doorway that led right back out into that area where they had been doing the ritual. Um, that's a point that I really want to bring out for people because it was really significant in my relationship with the Lord and with my calling. Um, you know, the Lord could have led me out of the catacombs, you know, above ground and let me out so I could have run away. Um, he could have taken me someplace and, you know, allowed me to be in hiding somewhere. Um, but the Lord didn't do that. He, he literally brought me right back to that sanctuary where all of those individuals who were in this occult were, were meeting and doing this evil. And knowing that, you know, if you ruin their rituals, you're pretty much a dead man you know, I, I have to later ask, Lord, why? Why did you bring me right back out to them? Um, so there were some things right before he opened the door. The Lord actually knelt down and was looking at me, you know, eye to eye. And he said to me, ask of me what you will. And I said, Lord, I want them all to come out. And, and you were referring to the people in the yeah. Luciferian cabal. Correct. Yeah, as well as all of the people that they held captive. So it included everybody who was involved in that. Um, you know, I saw a lot of the oppression. You know, I, I was wise enough at that age to know the enemy was really not the people. You know, I saw Satan. I saw the demonic spirits. I saw you know, how they held everybody captive. Um, I didn't have words for it then. I just knew that, you know, like me, a lot of these people wanted to get out or get away. A lot of them were, the, you know, they were there because they had to be there. They were there because they were held in bondage and Satan had a way of forcing people to do what he wanted them to do. And he would make it, make them do it where they, it seemed like they were doing it willingly, but at the heart of it, nobody really wanted to be doing these things, you know, or I'd say less than 5% of them really, really enjoyed or wanted to do these things. Um, so, you know, as the Lord, well, let me say that actually became an unspoken promise between me and the Lord. Um, with that, you know, I trusted and knew that God would somehow get me and my training partner out. Um, 
you know, what I didn't know was that until later was that my training partner actually saw the Lord let me out that secret door. So he was in that area where everybody else was. Um, they had not allowed him when they threw me into the, the grave to be a part of that. So he was still in that area and literally saw the Lord open the door and saw me walk out. So um, he witnessed that. And, um, and, so, and now, that, now that you're back in the room, um, yeah, obviously I, you're, you're a little, you have to be befuddled. But what, what was the reaction when, did they notice you come back in the room? No, at first, as I came out, you know, I was standing behind them and they all had their backs towards me and there was a lot of arguing. Um, you know, it, it was a pretty big deal. And so it took them a while and finally somebody noticed me and they all started, you know, <laughs> hitting each other in the elbows like, hey, wait, look behind us. Um, when they turned around, you know, the high priest was the first person to come up to me again. And he was like, how did you get there? And I said, well, the Lord let me out the secret door. And he was like, there is no door. He's like, stop lying. And he slapped me across the face. And then I had my proctor, you know, started in on the questioning too. How did you get there? And I was like, the Lord let me out the secret door. And again, you know, I got slapped and hit. And, um, you know, to this day, I think that they earnestly thought I asked for projected out of that catacomb. Um, you know, they did not want to believe that the Lord literally led me through those catacombs and back to where I was. But they do um, believe in the Lord. They know the Lord is real. I think it scared them more. So know, they, think, it was a, a, a co co cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were scared by that, you know, that they had no control. You know, they couldn't keep me down in that grave that literally the Lord intervened and brought me out. Um, you know, so I think that really, really scared them. So going forward they kept you in the program despite these things happening with you and you continued your training for several years. Can you tell mm -hmm. me a little bit more about the training and stuff involved? It, 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 there was some combat as I understand. Yeah. Um, that was one of our areas of focus. Um, we had, uh, the man who was <clears throat> my training partner's grandfather, whether he's a real grandfather or not, I, I don't know if he's really blood connected or not, but he, that's how we knew this individual. Um, he was the Nazi Ukrainian defense legion leader, um, Michael Karkok. And I talk about him quite a bit in one of the good dog shows that I did called fairy tale. Um, and I bring out, you know, his connections that he worked with the U.S. government. He had come across with Project Paperclip and took Project over. Project Paperclip, just for people to know, at the end of World War II, 
a lot of the, most of the, the high up Nazi scientists, particularly in the rocket programs and things like that, the US actually brought these people in, gave them false identities and brought them into the government to continue working on their weapons programs and the, uh, the mind, uh, what, what am I looking for? But basically they're pro propaganda machines that, that turned out to be running Hollywood and giving this all programming the general population and stuff like that. These people were brought over under Operation Paperclip and it was actually called Operation Paperclip because they would take their original name, you know, Hans von whatever in German and then they'd attach it to John Smith with a paperclip and put it in the file. And that's how the operation got its name. So. I just want to give a little bit of background on the paperclip thing. So this person was your combat yeah. instructor and he's an ex, uh, probably an SS, Nazi SS. Yeah. And his specialty was black magic as well as psyops. Um, so his job was to train us um, to be able to, to complete psyop missions. And, and what um, is a psyop mission? I just want to be clear for the audience. Yeah, um, let's see. So you got to bring into it that um, I know we touched this just a little bit, but we had to interface with the spiritual gates. So, you know, part of Satan's end time agenda is to open those spiritual gates and to have individuals who he can have host his demonic army and kind of flood through those gates and usurp the throne room of God. So the PSYOPs really had to deal with um, interfacing with the demonic generals and learning different um, spiritual, what I'd call spiritual warfare strategies or strategics. Um, so, you know, you're learning to combat not so much physically as you are spiritually in a psyop um, mission right right so you're, you're you can do specific rituals or commands to uh, like for for the layman it, it's like it's like a voodoo hex almost right almost i mean yeah i mean it could be comparable to that it, it would be more like if you had you know a ghost soldier, um, somebody who could just show up at a certain place at a certain time and complete their whole mission unseen because they're doing it out of the spirit body instead of the physical body. How is big is Satan's army? How many people does he have to dispatch? Um... Like I, I'm talking, I'm talking more in the spirit world, and I know you don't have the exact number, but yeah. it isn't just the 200 that fell, is it? Oh no, no, no! You know, you've got a third of the angelic body, and you know, Scripture says that there's myriads upon myriads, you know, which you're getting into the hundreds of thousands or millions um, with that number. So you know, a third of the myriads of myriads is how big that army is. Wow. And and this is happening, ladies and gentlemen, constantly above us. We, thankfully, the, the good side is outnumbered and, and apparently they uh, they have a little bit more uh, 
they have better weapons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but uh, in the physical on Earth here, um, listen, you know, I don't want to give credit, but listen, uh, the the enemy has has done a really good job. He's accomplished his goals uh, to date. Mm-hmm. So yep. getting back to the combat training, you you learned some psyops. So that was using some of your spiritual gifts and stuff like that. Was there physical yep. uh, defense training as well? There was. Um, yep. So. You know, we had to be able to protect ourselves um, as well as um, they did put us into actual combat situations. So um, I've shared the story some other times, but, you know, one of the first times um, we literally were following my proctor down the Catholic hallway and all of a sudden, you know, she opens one of the side doors that we had never gotten to see into before. And she kind of did this, you know, opened it just a crack and kind of looked in. And then, you know, she was like, you know, come over here and, and look. And so, you know, we're we're very curious. We we start peeking in and it's just pitch dark, you know, and we're like, huh, that's kind of odd. The next thing we know, we both get shoved in the door and she slams the door behind us and locks it from the outside. So we're locked in this dark room and, um, you know, we had gotten shoved through. So when we got shoved through, we kind of tripped over each other and we were on the ground. And, um, you know, I, I could feel my, my training partner, you know, was really good at finding where I was. So I, I felt his hand reach for me. And, you know, as we stood up, he had a hold on my shirt on the bottom and he, he whispered, you know, he said, grab my shirt and don't let go. And so I, you know, found the bottom of his shirt and we were kind of hanging on. And all of a sudden I hear this sound in the air coming towards me. And it was this chain. And it, as I hear this sound, it, I mean, it's coming straight from my face. And I kind of rammed into him and took a step sideways and, you know, knocked him down again. But if I hadn't stepped sideways, this chain would have literally hit me right in the face. And it came down, you know, and hit the cement floor that was there. And oh, that, was there someone swinging that chain? Yeah. So that's when we realized there was somebody in the room. And, you know, when we stumbled and tripped again over each other, you know, he knew we were in the room. And this guy started yelling, um, curses at us and you know we didn't know who he was or why he was there but he just started you know yelling I'm gonna kill you and um, from what I understand later you know we didn't know at first the whole situation but he was actually chained to a certain spot in the room so he could you know he he was limited in his movements um, that first time but he did he had gotten one of the chains loose that had for one of his hands. And that's what he was swinging at us. And, um, so then my proctor yells through the keyhole, you know, only one of you get to live, you know, and, and she meant either the guy or me and my training partner. So she's like, she's like, you better kill him before he kills you. 
<laughs> you know, I can just remember the shock. And, and this where, is a grown man, and you're little kids. Yeah. And yeah. he's got a chain. What weapons did you have? We had nothing except for, you know, the object that my training partner had stolen and had on him. So, you know, we're just like, okay, um, you know, wh what do we do? And he was just like, you know, hang on to my shirt and follow me. And, you know, I know that he, you know, he had the same thing as I, he had nighttime training. So after our day, you know, this was considered daytime training. And afterwards, when he went home, he would continue his training uh, with Carcock throughout the night. Um, so, you know, I assume that he had further combat training than I did. Um, he kind of was leading, you know, what we were going to do. So he was just like, you know, hang on to my shirt, follow me. But as I was sitting there holding on to his shirt, you know, in that dark, you know, I hear this guy, I can hear where he's at. And the spirit of God just came over me. And I did the one thing he asked me not to do. And I let go of his shirt. And I just went walking straight up to where that guy was. And I can't explain it other than that, you know, the spirit of God was leading me. And I just walked straight up to this man and had this impulse to put my hands on his chest. And I did. And, you know, there was, there's no supernatural power that I had. You know, it completely was the spirit of God. And I just felt this fire flowing through my hands into this guy's chest and I started to pray like I can't even tell you the words I was saying but I know that I was praying over this man and as I did he fell down on his hands and knees and you know started asking what are you doing and you know I just kept praying and and my training partner by that point you know came up and he was like, let go, take your hands off him. And I couldn't, like, I just could not stop. I could not remove my hands. So he literally starts trying to pry my hands off. And he got to the point where he had to get in between me and the man. So my hands now were on my training partner. And he shoves me back so that I fell back on the ground. And next thing I know, I hear this horrible sound. And then my training partner is standing over me and he was yelling, you know, only I kill, only I kill. And he's like, do you understand? Only I do that. And um, so I knew he had killed the guy, um, you know, and then shortly after that, the my proctor opened up the door and we were allowed to come out. So that was one of the first, you know, they literally would just throw us like into these combat situations. Like we'd be walking someplace and the next thing we know we're in a trapped area with these adult individuals who are intent on killing us. And it's either we walk out or they did. This is testing um, your validity and your gifts, I guess, is what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Through this. And if not, you're just expendable. Re exactly. 
Yeah. Now, and, and, and your training partner, he did the extra, you know, combat training in that because he was actually being raised to be your protect, protector, which is in Correct. the system, a person of value would have a protect, protector, right? Correct. Yep. And so with these types of situations where they're also, you know, versions of the Roman circus, you might say, where, you know, there's an arena of some kind and battles to the death and things like that. Do they, do they participate in that sort of thing as well? Yeah, I, I've talked and shared about some of those things. Um, those are what we would call witches' battles, or um, sometimes you'd have the protector assassins would be battling one another for position. Um, you know, for them, position and rank, you know, just meant that you headed up the departments that you got to train. Um, other protectors so that was a prized position if you you know were high ranked and got to train others you, you pretty much your life was secure so it was a way for them to survive um, the higher that they were ranked you know the less they had to worry about losing their life in this system um, but yet they have to battle for their life to get there right they do yeah and, and they would, um, so I did observe some of these battles. Um, they were uh, Romanesque, we'll say, or in the nude. Um, this, you know, I would hear the mothers talking and, and they would say that the reason for that was to humiliate, to keep these people, um, you know, in their place. It was supposed to be a humble thing. But what I saw from the protector assassins, you know, was that, as a, a lot of guys, you know, they actually, I, I, they did not seem embarrassed to me at all. Um, you know, they fully embraced that this was their moment to shine. And, um, you know, so I always wondered why, you know, the, the mothers thought it was humiliating because, you know, it didn't seem to me like they were too humiliated by this. Um, and so would there be a lot of people to witness this? Some of Describe them. what the room would be like. Yeah, so some of them there would be. Um, it depended which um, area that you were at. The majority of these arenas are international. Um, so the ones that I were at, or a particular one I was at, was under Nerschwanstein in Germany. Um, and Nerschwanstein's a castle. Yep. Which is, which is currently a public tourist attraction. It is, and that's the real Mother of Darkness castle. Um, so that's where all the mothers and anybody who's a grand high priest or priestess or a sister of light, those would be the only individuals um, who would be allowed into that arena besides the protector assassins um, when they do their battles. So you wouldn't have you know, a low level witch or even a high priest or priestess wouldn't be there. So why um, were you allowed to be there then? Uh, Cause I was the successor to you be were the, the successor to the mother of darkness. Yeah. So, and for this one, it was my, my protector was in, um, in the battle arena with all the other mother's protectors. 
So you had um, each mother had their own adult protector that they had had for years. And those individuals oversaw teams. So for each mother, you would have their adult protector. And then there was a junior protector who, you know, would be probably between age 12 to early 20s. And then they had the child protectors who were basically chosen and raised with the successor um, and were around the successor's age. So each team, you know, there were five mothers, so five adult protectors, five junior protectors, and five children protectors. So uh, 15 people who were in these battles. Um, when they they were considered the top protectors um so when they battled it literally was for who is going to run the six departments of the illuminati protectors um so at the time you know one of the other mothers her her protector was one of the police chiefs out of the chicago area and um he was the one who had been running all six departments. Um, you know, they would start with these battles where the adults were fighting one another and then they would fight, you know, the junior protectors who, at, you know, and then go to the children protectors. Are they using um, weapons? Is it fist to they fist? Can, Nope, they can use whatever they can confiscate onto the field or the battle arena. Um, so whatever they can bring on physically or whatever they can conjure up through spells or magic. Um, they also can use their demonic spirits in these battles. Um, so it's whatever they can conjure or use, they use. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of hand-to-hand -hand um, you know, there's certain weapons you're not allowed to bring on, like you, you could have daggers or knives, but you couldn't have swords or guns. Um, this individual, he had brought his police baton. He would fight with that a lot. So, you know, when the all was said and done, the final battling was between this chief police and my protector. And my protector literally would take the blows from this baton to his legs or, you know, parts of his body. And, you know, he would allow this police chief to knock him down just so he could spring up and, you know, take a shot at him. Um, he used a piece of glass that he had. Um, so that's what he would cut with. And, um, it got to the point where literally, you know, the chief hit him in the shins right under the kneecaps with that baton and he went down on his knees and then he sprang up and kind of came, you know, sprang up to the side of the police chief and he took that glass piece and ran it across the back of the guy's ribs and caused really a deep lesion and, um, the chief was bleeding so bad from that that they basically had to call the battle and take him into immediate black magic healing uh, before he bled to death. 
And so with that, my training partner won the top dog spot. And so he became um, the head of the protector assassin departments for the Illuminati as a child. And so this is because this is such a special place. Is this somewhere that Satan and his generals would show up and watch? Would they want to see this? Yeah, so Satan was present there. Um, so when you walked in, you know, this arena is is probably close to the size of a football field. It runs, um, like if people look at pictures of Nurse von Stein, behind the castle there is a bridge that goes across this kind of um, expanse. A gorge. Yeah, a gorge. Um so if you're looking from that bridge at the castle, that rock face is one of the back walls of that arena underground. Um, so it ran all the way from that rock face and then about a football's field worth, you know, through the land there underground. Um, it's done kind of in an oval shape. And so like you come through these massive, really thick wood doors that have lots of graphics on them. And as you walk in the room, you know, you're kind of, everything is done in oval shape. So if you go to your right, um, there's a room off to the side there uh, where all the protectors would gather and get ready for the battle. If you're looking straight ahead from where those doors are, um, across the arena on the other side, there's um, 11 thrones that are all in gold. And there's like different, they're kind of sitting on different platforms that tear up like a stairway. Um, so you have Satan's throne is in the middle there. And then on his right, was where the queen mother would sit and I would sit right next to her. And, and what form have, was he in in this one? This one, he was actually also in his human form. Um, so he appeared as the, you know, handsome, I'll call it his handsome looking form. Um, and so he, but he was one, I got to kind of describe people so they understand just how pompous he is. Um, you know, when he was watching this battle, he's not sitting upright in this throne. Like he's kind of like sitting sideways with his legs hanging over. Part of this battle uh, meant that, you know, and I believe they knew who was going to win in this, but um, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, what do you call it? Um, the chief police did not let my training partner win. Like they're really battling for first place here. But I believe Satan knew who was going to win because part of this, you know, we later found out they that we had to do our unbreakable vow together between me and my protector. So, um, part of that process of that vow was that, you know, if my protector won, it meant he got a vial of my blood. 
So, you know, Satan's sitting on this throne and he's got the chain. It was kind of like a necklace chain with a vial on it. And, you know, the vial at this point does not have anything in it, but he's sitting there swinging this chain back and forth the entire time. And so, you know, I'm sitting there like, you know, praying my protector wins because I don't want him to die. You know, I didn't want another protector. I, I just wanted to stick with the one that I had. But at the same time, I kept seeing that vial being swung back and forth. And so it was almost like this taunting, you know, that you're going to have to give your blood if you want him to live. And um, so, you know, there was kind of this unspoken spiritual battle going on at the same time as this physical battle is going on. Now, I'm just curious here, Jesse. You're seeing him with this, you know, very vain gold chain or whatever it is, and he's got a vial on it and he's swinging. Does he have the ability, like the other side, maybe they saw something different? That's possible. Um, You know, the chain was physical and real. Um, When my protector won the battle, you know, we had to complete the vow between us, and that's where I I had to put my blood in that vial and place that chain around his neck. Um, You know, so I think that everybody, everybody witnessed and saw that happen who was there. So he could have been showing them something else, but. um, Yeah. Well, listen, there's not a lot of words to describe what happens in the, in the spiritual world. And and when you say, you know, he might've known who wins because, you know, time really is a man-made thing. Time right. doesn't really exist. It's just a form of measurement that we've put. And we see things in the physical decay and stuff like that, so we can put a piece of measurement. But in the spirit world, they probably see things that we don't. Right. It, you know, I mean, for me, it just it just made me angry. You know, it was almost, it was this taunting that he would do you know, he was always trying to get me to participate in the evil. And, you know, I had to be selective in what I did and what I would, you know, go to all extents to not do. You know, as you know, if I didn't participate in something, there always was a consequence. And usually that consequence was that I had to watch somebody die right in front of my face in some horrific way. Um, you know, so at the heart of all this, I was very selective, you know, there was really nobody in this world I could trust except for my training partner. So for me, that relationship was, you know, was more valuable than anything else. You know, it's really hard to find somebody who, you know, will stand by your side. You know, even when I chose to not do what I was supposed to do, my training partner would stand in agreement with me on that. And so, uh, a lot of times, you know, I, I can't count the number, but a lot of times he would take the punishment then, um, you know, so he, it cost him a lot to, to be in that position. Um, you know, it wasn't always my loved one, you know, my loved one's, got to live they would threaten that they would take their lives um 
but the individuals lives that they really took were people that my training partner loved um you know so that that was kind of the double-edged sword was that every decision i had to make he would stand with me in that but he was the one who paid the emotional price and cost for the majority of that um, it would hurt you as well obviously yeah it, it would hurt me he would get thrown into the hole we would call it you know a deep be a deep well or you know it's like this deep place where they have him down there for hours um you know he would get more severe beatings um you know from carcock or other people they would do it in the guise of combat training but basically it was you know carcock and others would you know basically beat the hell out of him as a kid and he would be stuck fighting and trying to defend himself from that um you know so part of this ritual then too after that you know was once we entered into this vow like his job was to protect and to keep me safe and to fight for me um my job was to be aware of every single one of his wounds and to um bring healing to those wounds so every day after that i had to inspect his body and know every single wound um so you know as we got further and further into the system and he was having to do more and more and the more that i refused and denied you know i would physically see the consequences of my decisions you know that he was the one bearing those consequences wow jesse the the amount of knowledge that you have and and you know jesse's really coming out and fighting against us and you know she's sharing some of her stories with us today but she's extremely knowledgeable in in all kinds of different things including the the Masonic aspects and there's different levels and there's a lot of stuff I'd like to get into you, but you know, we're just over an hour. Uh, so I want to do a little bit of a recap and then we have to get to that uh, April, 2020 story. So just as a bit of a recap for the listening audience, there's a few things that really popped out today. We, we've heard about rituals and how precise they are. So if you're a praying person, you can, if you know of something going on, for instance, you might, discover some of the you know holidays that they practice or whatever you might want to pray that their ceremonies don't go as planned that something gets ruined something goes off you know because i'm not going to advise anyone to go in there and try to physically stop them but you know to to be there to come against it in prayer would be a very good thing we've also learned about the, the combat training the level of detail that they go through listen they are prepared so, so much more should we be prepared if we want to go against this stuff. And we listen, who wants kids to go through this stuff? Who wants to see people tortured and murdered? Everybody, believers and non-believers, should be wanting to focus their thoughts against this. For a Christian, it might be prayers. For another religion, it might be something else. But even if you're a non-believer, you must, you should be thinking against this and just at least sending your energy into the ethereal to go against this 
So, you know, these are very important. And it's all, it was also really important to, to demonstrate the miracles because this is part, well, I shouldn't say part, this is the whole reason that Jesse was able to get through this. It not only gave her strength, but she had divine protection. And I believe she still has divine protection to go through this. And, you know, it's really important to put that out there and, you know, to give the other side too, because, you know, I said in the intro that we want to look at the enemy. We want to know the enemy's ways so we can combat it. it and really that's the thing. It's not because we want to watch it. Well, personally, I don't want to watch a horror movie. That, that's not something that, you know, I don't feel good after I watch a horror movie. And if you feel good after watching a horror movie, well, you know, maybe you should go to speak to someone, <laughs> you know, because you're not meant to. I don't think it's natural. And, you know, but you might have been conditioned that way and it's not your fault. But, you know, I would say when you put garbage in your head, garbage is eventually going to come out. So, you know, instead put good stuff in your head and, you know, the world would be a better place for it. So let's just kind of coming to a conclusion of this episode, Jesse, you were really brought into this whole thing and all of these experiences and all of this training was supposed to lead up to, I believe it was April 26th of 2020, which is this year. Uh, April 24th. April 24th. Can you year. tell me what your purpose was and what happened on this day? Yeah, so um, one of my first jobs as the Queen Mother of Darkness was to um, fulfill it. It's a five-fold ritual that the mothers would do together. Um, my part was the last or the fifth part of the ritual. Um, so there were five books of the mothers, and these are, it's hard to describe these books, but they're very ancient books. Um, I'm going to give a graphic warning here. Um, the books are actually made out of human skin, and... Um, they, if you were to open their pages, you wouldn't see anything in them. So these are books that the blood of whoever is linked to them has to be applied and then the spells appear or the prophecies appear. Um, so when we were kids, we went through, and this actually, I'm going to share this. This was one of the miracles. Um, but we were going through the ritual prep for this end time ritual. And so you had all the mothers lined up, their successors were in front of them. And one by one, you know, each mother opened the book and had her successor put their hand on the inside the book. And then they would um, close the book and say a, a spell and that's what linked these mothers to that book so that in the future you know when the, the days came those mothers would be able to open the books um so when mine came like you know they're really heavy books so we're on our knees with our hands fully extended palms up and they place that book on our hands and you know it, it's taken my entire strength to hold that sucker up um, my training partner, interestingly enough, he was involved in this end time ritual as well. 
So what they did was they had him actually holding the majority, like the heaviest part of the book. And they had me put my hand on top. Now, you know, with all the rest, the moment they put their hand on top, the mother would close the book. And that process of your hand being closed in the book is what linked you to that book. But the, you know, what happened with me was the moment I put my hand on there, all of a sudden, like, it was just like this huge pow of light and my proctor and the book went flying one direction. Now think of big Catholic churches. Okay. We're in a sanctuary. She gets thrown back along with the other mothers all the way against the back wall of, of that church the altar area we get thrown all the way back to where the entrance doors are so past all the pews and you know we can't explain it it's just that's what happened and you know the moment we got thrown back um i remember like i you know i started looking up and i literally was looking straight at the face of my proctor and I had this horrific vision where I saw her end her last moments on the end of her life. And I started crying and my training partner, I believe saw it too. He would never tell me if he saw it or not, but he started crying as well. Um, and so the linking process never actually finished um, between me and that book. Um, so, you know, forward years later, April 24th, the whole purpose of the, these things were, were to fulfill the prophecies for the Antichrist. And these, um, this is his prophecies. Correct. These so, aren't ones put in the Bible. This is his own right, Bible. Right. Satan, you know, wants to duplicate everything, make it a mockery of Christ. You know, this is to be the Messiah to the Jews. So, you know in a way they're making it seem like this individual has gone through everything as well as Jesus has. Um, so, you know, the books went through like, you know, basically the one book they baptized him, another book they, um, you know, he went through his temptation, another book he went through his calling. Um, the last book is, was he was to be um go which through. is your book yeah it was basically his um consummation and so with that after he fulfilled all five of those um he was ready to step into his role or position so at any time he could be revealed um with that that you know we went into battle me and many prayer warriors um so in the spirit world you know we were in prayer we literally took those books and threw them on the fire of god's coals and there was a lengthy spiritual battle that took place um you know for that day on the ritual i was supposed to be at a certain place uh to open that book in the physical world and we had people in the government actually had eyes on both me and my training partner at home. You know, we were grounded <laughs> for 
quite a few days, but they made sure that, <coughs> that these individuals were not able to kidnap um, or take us, you know, drug us to be part of this ceremony. So Jesse, I, I'm just going to ask for a one word answer and then I'm going to close out this broadcast and perhaps it'll get intrigue enough for a listener to listen to another interview if you'll indulge, of course. <laughs> so this date was very important. It's supposed to usher in the end times where he can surface as the false prophet or the false messiah, rather, mm -hmm. the false Jesus. And you had prayed to the Lord, should I do this? And we're talking, you prayed to the right Lord, not, 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 mm -hmm. to, not to this false guy. One word answer. What did he tell you to do? Um, in just one word or one sentence? <laughs> I can put it into one sentence. Yeah, yeah and I just want to leave the conclusion off. Yeah, he told me, the Lord told me to take my position. And ladies and gentlemen, if that's not a cliffhanger, we're talking end times. We're right in that time. Time is being compressed. Jesse Zaboter, you are an incredible person. It's it's amazing for the listening audience. This is audio only, and uh, mostly because I have a face for radio. But, ladies and gentlemen, it, when when I watch Jesse tell these stories, because we're we're doing a Zoom call as we speak, I see the pain in her face when she talks about the hard stuff, and then I see her face literally change color and come alive when she talks about the Lord. And if that's not a testimony. I don't know what is, but Jesse's a boater. Again, look up on Twitter uh, at Kathy, Kathy Fox. That's with a C both times, Kathy, Kathy Fox. The website is such an amazing amount of information and videos and a lot more of Jesse's story. That's at Illuminate the Darkness. And if you go on to Facebook and search at Real Right on radio i'm going to be posting up some links to jesse's book and i just highly suggest that uh you take a look at it this there's who else could give you such a deep look into things and whether you're religious or not this is a story of epic or biblical proportion and you know what reading it might just save your life or someone else's so definitely pick it up and spend the time Jesse Zavoder, thank you again for joining us on Right On Radio. I, it's such an honor and a privilege to call oh, you my you. sister now. <laughs> and, uh, and I thank you very much. And until next time, you're listening to Right On Radio. Right On Radio. Right On Radio.